to the Comical Heathen, one man's wild and weird odyssey into the world of religious satire. I am that man, your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and I'm writing a book about religious satire, so I started this podcast to, to share some interviews I was doing and share some of the things I was learning and thinking about. And if you're tuning into this episode, you'll notice that it's called Season 2, Episode 1, Part 2. And that's because while producing the uh, first episode for this season, I found myself with an embarrassment of an abundance of riches. The theme for Episode 1 was going to be uh, the complaints and the censorship from an a, a RTE sketch at New Year's Eve by the Waterford Whispers News, and then covering some of the ideas of censorship, blasphemy laws. I was so lucky to be able to interview Peter Hinchliffe and Michael Nugent from Atheist Ireland. And then I invited my friend Sean Lynch to co-host with me. And there was just so much material, it kind of ballooned out of control. As I kept trying to make the episode more compact, I just kept cutting stuff out. And I just reached a point where I had to come up with a different strategy. And that strategy was to do a two-part episode. So, first of all, I should say, to get the full effect, if you haven't already listened to part one, please do, because that features the actual interview with Peter and Michael. And that's really the heart of the matter, really getting to talk to those two gentlemen about the um, activism around Atheist Ireland and the controversy around the Waterford Whispers news sketch. But the total package included me with Sean Lynch, comedian, headliner, television writer, uh, debriefing the interview. And so this is... Part two, which is going to be primarily me and Sean talking about things that came up in the interview. I've edited it in such a way that this is a standalone episode. So if you didn't listen to part one, this will still be two comedians riffing about satire. Uh, but the full effect, you would listen to both together. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to uh, segue into that material. So this is me, your host, throwing it to me and Sean from a couple weeks ago, discussing the Waterford Whispered News and other related issues. Thanks for listening. I'm now going to bring in my co-host, very good friend, touring headliner, formerly uh, one of the co-creators of Celebrity Deathmatch and other uh, writer for other television projects. Please welcome to the show, Sean Lynch. What's Sean, happening, Jerry? How you doing, buddy? <laughs> hey, thanks for doing this with us. Always how you welcome. doing today? <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging in there, man. No better way to spend a Sunday than uh, chatting with a pal about silly stuff. Is this a crazy world we live in? Yesterday, you were attending a Zoom wedding. Now you're yes. attending a Zoom satire podcast. Yes, there wasn't <laughs> a dry lens in the joint. So, you know, I was just uh, going on about the Waterford Whispers thing. What do you think about mm -hmm. the bit? You know, the bit was like a fake newscast, parody mm -hmm. newscast, daily show type of thing. Oh, yeah. The newscaster says, well, the latest person caught in the um, Me Too sexual harassment scandal was uh, God for his uh, forcing himself upon an immigrant woman and impregnating her. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? It's about time somebody took down Big G. That's right. <laughs> probably took a pot shot. You know, I suspect that in other parts of the world, you know, I'm in Ohio right now. We're both U.S. comics. Mm -hmm. But in Ireland, you know, with the Catholic Church rules, and that's a touchy subject. So I'm sure that gets. I'm sure that gets a tut 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 tut. But then a wee bit of a laugh at the end. Well, Archbishop Amon wrote mm. a stern letter complaining. You know, I don't know how anyone after Python pistol. could write a stern letter complaining anymore. My God, did he write it with one of those giant plume pens? He must have. That's all they use in the Catholic Church, isn't it? 
But then Ink Boy. <laughs> but then Irish Television uh, took the sketch out of the online version, so they actually did remove it after they got about a thousand complaints. Ugh. I know. But you thought who knew that, that many seniors watched the show? I know we're both big fans of satire. Yeah. But satire in art in general is always on a crash course with politics. Yeah. It's like inevitable. <laughs> it's how they feed each other. Yes. Well, that Batman, feels, there's no Joker. How would we, two doofuses in America, even be talking about the Waterford Whispers if Archbishop Amon hadn't complained? That's true. Right? Like if he had just. Best PR out, they could have had. Yes. Think of how much less reach the bit would have had. Oh, yeah. If he had just grumbled it quietly at home. Absolutely. <laughs> well, after a while, you start aiming for those people. I know that, uh, you know, when we were doing a celebrity death match and whatnot, we'd be like, come on, Tipper Gord. <laughs> come on. Come on, Newt Gingrich. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to ask you something, but I'm also going to tell the, any all of our listeners at home, Sean's a good friend of mine, and he actually did a full interview with him in season one of this podcast. So if you want to hear more of Sean's thoughts about religion and satire, please listen to the whole thing. I don't want to um, go over the exact same thing, but you did work for MTV, yeah. Celebrity Deathmatch, plus some other projects as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're making Celebrity Deathmatch, which was and still remains quite an edgy show. Yeah, that um, still holds up a wee bit. There must have been pressure from the suits not to do certain things. Oh, yeah. You know, in, in, in most television shows that, that I've worked for, there's usually one guy in the room, and nobody ever talks about this, but, but I think it's interesting. Every network, Comedy Central, MTV, VH1, you name it, okay. there's always one writer that's never really a writer that gets assigned to the producer and the other writer of the show. Let's say, for instance, you and I, you and I come in, we, we pitch a show about religious satire, right? We come okay. in and say, okay, this sounds great. I'm going to give you X amount of dollars for a pilot. This is great. Okay, so Jerry, you're going to be you're going to be hosting the show. This is your show. Sean, he's going to be your uh, your head writer on there. You got two other guys mm -hmm. that you, you, you like. Okay, we're yeah. going to put them on. And this is uh, Joe Schmidoika. Uh, he's <laughs> one of our staff writers, and he, Joe is just going to make sure everything runs smoothly. And he's in your corner, and he's just your guy, and, and you guys are going to get along great. Now, what they okay. don't say is Joe's job is to rat out any writing that's going <laughs> to cause them problems later on. And, and his job is to also suggest really softball suggestions to okay. sort of tamper down. What I, what I started to realize about five or six years into my career is like, oh, that's like an antivirus for guys like me. Like that, that's right. literally this guy said, you know, the guy comes in, he's like, you know, I don't think we should really do uh uh, a joke about the uh, the Bush daughters going for an abortion. You know, it would be great. We should do a parody on Tom Brady uh, going to play the Cowboys, but he wears a cowboy hat on the on the plane. How about, <laughs> how about let's do something like that? Doesn't that sound good? Let me just hitch up my you know. Like, but that guy is a plant, and he will go and rat. Dave Chappelle actually once threw his rat out of a meeting, okay. like physically ejected. Really, like, you can't be in the the meeting anymore. Right. Because he realized that every time a sketch that he made would get problems with the network, it was this one woman who was assigned by the network to, to okay. basically rat them out. But they're there. And right. their whole purpose is to, to, to weed out anything interesting or fun or controversial. But what's interesting to me is... And yet there was still like yeah. company standards. or at least There was never pushback. censorship on the violence, but there was always... Sure. 
censorship on on the subtext and if it fell into religion or race or whatnot oh man all of the censorship basically comes down to this this is another thing that i didn't realize until i was in my my cynical 40s that i didn't realize welcome welcome we welcome you (laughs) nine times out of ten the censorship your tired 50s that's what's next all right Woohoo! All right, inflamed prostate. Let's go. Realize <laughs> it's I'm um, hitching that belt all the way up past oh, my navel. Yes. Uh, almost every time we'd be, be censored, it was because one of the sponsors, be it Coca Cola sure. or, or you know Zip Cream or whatever, um, a lot of the CEOs or some of the companies would have religious right leaders, right? And, or, or see, and they and they literally be like, we can't we can't make fun of the Pope. They're gonna pull the toothpaste there. It was never a moral standing. It was never, it, it was just, sure. we don't want to fuck with our money, boys. Let's keep this toothless and forgettable. Well, as everyone who's gone to graduate school and media studies knows, that is one of Chomsky's main points, was that in a full-throated capitalistic society, you don't need government censorship yeah. because the media outlets will censor themselves. Oh, yeah. And it'll never be even like a law. Like Ireland had a blasphemy law until very recently. Please tell me that Ireland had their own special blasphemy squad. Blasphemy squad. That's great. They all wear papal hats and drive around in boat mobiles. (laughs) You know, there's like this this one guy who's kind of the tough guy who wears sunglasses and a cigarette. The pretty boy. They hear someone screaming, oh, my God, and they kick in the door. (laughs) Jesus, that was a good bit of beef, Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) Did you just compare our Lord to beef? Blasphemy squad brought to you in Technicolor. Just the faith, ma'am. Just the faith. Just, <laughs> just the words of the Lord, ma'am. There we go. Well, I knew I had to get you on to talk about this because you do such a great Irish accent. So, <laughs> well, it's, uh, I've had I've had plenty of practice. I grew, I grew up with it in my ears, so it ain't, a, it ain't a tough impression. You know, I just jotted down some examples, both from the 20th century and from history, of um, the intersection between art and censorship. Something I talk about in my classes, of course. In the time when Shakespeare was writing. There was a master of revels that you had to submit your plays to before they would be allowed to be staged. Really? You couldn't do anything, I mean, that the Crown didn't approve of. And that included, I'm sure you might even remember, I know you were a theater major in college yep. as well. So high school or college theater history class, you you might remember that there's no Shakespeare play in which a rightful monarch is killed on stage, like murdered on stage. Wow. Because that was that was you were not allowed. Like Macbeth and Richard the Third are killed off stage. Right. I was just thinking. I, I, you know, I, I immediately went to Hamlet, but I was like, when you said rightful monarch, I was right. Like, yeah, yeah. Because Claudius had killed the rightful king. Right. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, so, so they had a clause about no, uh, no, no mocking the monarch. Or, yeah. Uh, well, no inciting. You know, insurrection. They didn't want anything that would put the idea in people's heads that maybe we should kill the king. Or this was Queen Elizabeth, the literal. I'll tell you just a funny one, because I know we'll have fun with this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you were reading Shakespeare in high school or college. You must have come across the word zounds. Zounds, yes. Here's your trivia question for the day. I'm the quiz master, uh, Gold Star (laughs) Classroom. Uh, Do you know what zounds means? I always thought it was just a a sort of Anglo-Saxon exclamation. uh... Well, it is. But what it is... It's like, instead of saying like, God damn it, someone, a wasp might go, darn. Ah. So zounds is a softened short form of God's wounds. 
but God's wounds was considered a blasphemous thing. Like if you stubbed your toe and went, ah, oh, God's wounds. Like that was like swearing, like. I would love to know at what point, at what point in England, that was the hip, that was the hip yes. vernacular. <laughs> God's wounds. <laughs> yeah, I wanna, if someone shouted that while orgasming. Right, <laughs> just thinking like, like someone tub, stubbed their toe on a peasant or something. So, like, so Zounds, Zounds is like the darn it version of that. So wow. when you see it in print, what you should think, and I don't know, I don't have a time machine. So, but this is how I think of it, whether it's completely accurate or not, is on the printed version they turned in or the written out version, they wrote in Zounds because it was less offensive. But if you went to see the play, they probably said God's wounds live. That's my prediction. Yeah, well, it's it. You know what? That it's very similar to the uh, John Ford movies of the of the of the forties, fifties, and sixties when they would have Gabby Hayes instead of uh, instead of uh, weaving a tapestry of profanity, you would say things like "gall blurn it." <laughs> that gall blurn. That's, uh, <laughs> Wow, that 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 made up uh, that made up gobbledygook to cover up for the good stuff. You know? Oh, hey, that um, ringing sound, that telephone from the forties. Ah, just is it Jay you. Edgar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I thought it might be Jay Edgar, but it turned out it was another friend of mine, comedian out of Los Angeles, Ian Harris. Ah, he's great. He's fantastic, and uh, he phoned me earlier this week because he wanted to get something off his chest. So here's a quick mini rant from my friend, Ian Harris. What's up, everybody? Ian Harris here. Um, I want to talk about the minimum wage a little bit. Um, this is an issue I've been arguing with somebody on my podcast, Critical in Thinking, with Ty Barnett and Ian Harris. Check it out. Um, and this idea that that the minimum wage is going to raise prices and raise costs. and all, Stop. Stop. Okay. That's not how it works. First off, prices have already gone up. Have you noticed? I'm not sure if you've noticed, but rent has gone through the roof. Okay, rent, rent, uh, mortgages, houses. My house, we bought a house 18 years ago. It's quadrupled, okay? I used to rent an apartment. I'm living in LA. I used to rent an apartment bill, uh, an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment for $750 a month in West Hollywood 20 years ago, right before we bought our house, okay? That apartment is now about $2,000 to $3,000 a month. Gas back in 2000 was about $1.50 a gallon here. Now it's $3. That's double. Okay? Rent, more than double. Houses, more than double. Food, if you eat fast food, you could have go, gone and got a, a Happy Meal or a Burger King Whopper deal or whatever the heck it is. Go to Taco Bell and you're 99 cent this and $3 that. Nowadays, $9. Okay? So the prices have already gone up. Meanwhile, the minimum wage has gone up zero. It's still seven, what is it, 785? That's what it was in 2000. So you cannot tell me that raising the minimum wage is going to raise costs when costs are already being raised. And also, it's very simple. If you look at the CEOs of all these companies, the companies that, that we're talking about, it's always fast food. Well, the McDonald's hamburger is going to go up to $20. No, because no one would buy a McDonald's hamburger, first of all. Second of all, um, you know what? The CEOs of these companies are making bill. The companies are making billions. CEOs are making tens and sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. They could take a tiny little pay cut and wouldn't have to raise their prices on anything. They've 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 shown this over and over and over. 
People need to get paid a livable wage. It is simple. So anyone who's, and I've heard someone say, well, now if you do that, those jobs are going to go away because they're going to make people have uh, more education. If you want to work at McDonald's and get paid $15 an hour, uh, they're going to get rid of the person who's there now and they're going to bring it. No, Uh, they they don't. the, The job skills don't change. It's not all of a sudden like, yeah, you used to have to flip burgers and put lettuce and tomato and, and then wrap it and hand it to somebody. Now, you first need to, to design a schematic. Um, then you need to, uh, to grow uh, organic cattle uh, or raise organic cattle. And then you need to butcher them and bring them in and grind them up. And you have to meet all the safety standards. And, and so you need a degree um, in order to come work at... No, the job isn't going to change, Okay. The same people are going to go for 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 uh, for a job. And the other thing is this: I heard this one. A friend of mine said, "Well, I'm a nurse, and I only get paid eleven dollars an hour." First off, move. I, I don't know where the hell you're getting paid eleven dollars an hour to to be a nurse. Uh, I probably the person's probably a medical assistant who's lying. But but that's I have a friend, a friend of a friend, who said I get paid eleven dollars an hour and I'm a nurse. So some McDonald's guy is going to get paid more than me. Well, no, because you'll also get a raise, dum-dum. That's how it works. The minimum wage means you go up. So you'll likely go to $15 an hour or 18 or 20 and you'll go up. But guess what else? If you think that job is super easy and you're like, well, I get paid 15 an hour to be a nurse and he gets paid 15 an hour to flip burgers. This is ridiculous. I want to get paid 15. Well, then go quit your job and go flip burgers. Well, that job's beneath me. Then what are you complaining about? <laughs> right? It doesn't make any sense. You like your job? Cool. You're going to get paid more to do it. They like their job? Cool. They're going to get paid more to do it. If you want their job, go do their job. If you don't like their job, shut up and do your job. It's And guess what? Everyone gets paid more. That's how it works. And the more money that people are getting paid, the more money that's out in, in the in the economy, and then the more money we'll all make eventually. That's how these things work. So, again, a little bit of research, and uh, and and you can and you can look at the places that I that have already raised the minimum wage. There's places in Florida and California and Seattle, and it hasn't hurt jobs, and it hasn't. It's actually helped the economy. So that's it. For my rant, thank you guys. By the way, follow me if you get a chance. Ian, I'm at Comedioker, Ian Harris. I've got a podcast, Critical and Thinking with Ty Barnett. And I've got a couple of uh, TV specials on Amazon, my comedy specials, Amazon, Hulu, those sorts of things. Thanks for having me. John, you're based in L.A. a lot. you ever yeah. uh, cross paths with Ian? Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen him. I've seen him perform at uh, at some time. I mean, he's a, he's he's a great comic. He's got a very original voice. Yep. He tends to do the hipper, the yeah, hipper rooms. Right. I tend to do the uh, the more uh, commercial. Being an older fart, I tend to I tend to, <laughs> to, to lean uh, a little more towards Hollywood Boulevard. But uh, but really, what a talent that kid. Yeah. Oh, I love him. I've got both his comedy specials actually, and I recommend both of them. I brought something I wanted to talk about, but I'm gonna give you one first. This morning when we were getting ready to record, you were sending me some of your favorite Christian albums. Oh, yeah. Christian albums. Those things are great, man. Give us, give us an example of one that you like. Uh, well, one of my personal favorites here, I'll uh, pull this up. Uh, it's uh, The Golden Eggs is the name of the uh, the band. It's three, this is a real uh, band. I want to emphasize this, right? This isn't oh, just- yeah. It's a three-woman, middle-aged, uh, menopausal band of Midwestern housewives called The Golden Eggs, because why not? And their album is called Laid by the Lord. 
and uh, they are, as you can see, uh, happily in a giant tree with three eggs, just yeah. waiting for the Lord. And yeah. I, I'm just a huge fan of outdated Christian albums. I'm also a huge fan. I can't find it right now, but um, I uh, just 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 because Google is amazing. Uh, one day I put in uh, Christian ventriloquist acts of the 60s. And sure enough, <laughs> five or six album covers pulled up. My personal favorite was an elderly couple with a, a young uh, ventriloquist doll, which already puts like some really scary images in my head about like, I don't know, uh, murdered child replacement or something. But it's, it's this elderly couple, you know, the wife has a beehive, the husband has mutton chops, both gray haired and like plaid matching plaid suits. And then the, the ventriloquist doll, God, it was like, you know, it was like Fred Mumford and wife and Andy. And then the album is called He Touched Me. That is the name of the album is He Touched Me. Yes. And, and I, I love that how like in 1966 or whenever this album came out, they, they had no idea that they're setting this up. Or uh, or the one that I sent you today, the the other one by uh, Miss uh, Lauren Fudge. Lauren Fudge. The, the, the Christian flautist. One of my personal favorites. Oh, she can Her, flout. She flouts like she's yes, not this, a this, She is a flouting whore, this gal right yeah. here. Her album is called fingering and praying with lauren fudge that sums up my entire and high school another life. another handsome prairie woman right fingering and praying that was me in high school <laughs> <laughs> davening my d-bag in high yeah. school <laughs> we called it typing class i think you and me and us we like comedy that is one foot realistic Yes. Should be rooted, if not in autobiography, at least in the real world, like things that are recognizable. Yes. But having said that, I think that's especially important for satire. Absolutely. If you're going to make fun of of this religion or this politician, even if we're going to exaggerate, mock, or even make shit up, at least one foot should be like, this is the people, like, shining spotlights on hypocrisy. Yeah. I mean, I, I always think the facts are the cake, and then you just frost it with silly and sprinkle with a little filth. Sometimes the cake already starts out silly, but that's almost even scarier. <laughs> yeah. Which which brings us to something. Um, the 12 people who listen to this podcast know that I don't do current events. but uh, So this is more just like a historical topic or just a weird topic. A new member of Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, this is a person who was elected to Congress. We have to take them seriously. Mm. But she is such a conspiracy theory nut that mocking her is how we take her seriously. Mm. And people were all over this. So we're, we're going to be like at the back of the line, Sean, but I still want to give this a go. Well, I still like the idea that when she first got Marjorie Taylor, I agree, when, when she first got her statements on, I just love the idea of Michelle Buchanan just tilting her tiara and being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody takes my I imagine Dick Cheney at home going, I may be evil, but at least I'm not fucking stupid. <laughs> And then he shoots on, on a throne of skulls. Yes. <laughs> One of her conspiracy theories, and it, it strikes home to me, is that the uh, California wildfires are caused by a Jewish space laser. And besides being just like... To, just to begin. Just to begin. <laughs> just to, as our way into the topic, it's pseudo-science, uh, it's pseudo-history, it's anti-climate change, but it's also just like a big badge of anti-Semitism. Yes. You're blaming the Jews. And, right. No, blaming the space Jews. Right. Well, yeah, the space Zionists with all their money controlling our lives. 
So it's, it's, it's like, where's Mel Brooks when you need him? Exactly. Where's Mel Brooks, it's, cue the organ. We'll have Harvey Corman and, and Tim Conway come out and with like a giant, a giant dreidel right. with lasers on it out in space. Yes. Well, Jews in Space was part of that movie. Yes. Yes, Jews. That's in space. right. You're <laughs> right. I forgot that that whole section. Yes. Jews out in space. <laughs> Don't do more than really go hard, please. There. I just love the idea of her watching that movie and going, right. It's a documentary. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a documentary. First Planet of the Apes, now this. And uh, I mean, I am Jewish uh, by culture. I want to take this seriously, but I also want to join Mel Brooks in the unrelenting mocking of anti-Semites everywhere. Um, you know, and it's typical of a conservative. They're always pro-Second Amendment until it's a minority with a gun. Right. Sure. Right. Jews have a space laser. What about the Second Amendment? Come on. You can pry this laser from our cold, dead hands. Yeah, from my, from my cold, kosher hand. <laughs> <laughs> smells like pastrami. And I don't think she realizes the implications of starting a religious space cold war. Now every lunatic with a faith will want their own junk up, you know, orbiting right. the earth. <laughs> right. We'll have the great Hindi space cow squirting its milk at untouchable outcasts throughout the solar system. Astral Vishnu. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I want that. The great Zen infinite space nothingness. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, yeah, yeah the, the, the Catholics will have their, uh, their, their, their giant crucifix laser up there. I mean, I think a Catholic space waiver, you know, wafer. I mean, we we could, you and you we could pitch this to the sci fi network. I feel yes, like we might absolutely. have a pilot. Come on. Um, well, so anyone from the Sci-Fi Network, this is my pitch. If you're, so, <laughs> if you're listening, if you're listening, this is as good as a copyright. At gmail.com. The uh, Shinto Space Nato, which would explain <laughs> why deep space smells like badly fermented curds that no one would ever eat. Evangelical sauce. We, we just did a whole, we just lined up a whole season. Yes, they're texting us right now. Bad British sci-fi, like Red Dwarf from like the seventies, where each week it's just another religion in the space. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the whole Netflix business model is that they have to have new content constantly, so people don't quit their service. Right. And so there's great shit on Netflix, and there's mediocre shit on Netflix. Surely I could get a mediocre series on Netflix. Come on. Absolutely, they're they're practically giving them away right, right. now. Call I mean, me Netflix. Come on. <laughs> Get on the blower. <laughs> Did you know that there's a uh, Mormon intergalactic coffee house? It's the only place they're allowed to get coffee, but none of them can get to it. <laughs> so that's why they put it so high up in space. Uh, somebody needs to uh, somebody needs to put that on the tablet. I, obviously, someone needed to stop me while I was writing this, Sean, but I got to tell you at least one more. <laughs> now that I'm locked in this basement, nobody's yeah. stopping me. Nobody's stopping me. The flying spaghetti monsters orbiting Russell's teapot. Oh, that's your Prove. finale. Prove that they don't. That's your Thanos. Yes. Prove that they don't have an orbiting Russell's teapot. <laughs> it's, I I I want to live in the in the broken Wally world that is this woman's head. What 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 anti-Semitic cartoon is running through her head? Okay. I will say my friend who did the Gold Star Classroom music mm -hmm. is making new theme music for me. Right on. So I'm oh, excited. We love, Rick and Donna and I love that theme song. <laughs> you know, 
I put that song as an extra track on my CD. Oh, that's great. It's the reason to buy the CD. Like the jokes are fine, but spend your $5 to get that song, man. You need that song in your life. It is. It's so great. It's and 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 you know, Mark nailed it. It's like right out of Boogie Nights. Like yes. it just reminds yep. me of something off the Boogie Nights. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's got that kind of brown, brown chicken, brown cow guitar feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey Sean, I want to ask you something that they brought up uh, that you might have experienced as a comedian or a television writer, mm-hmm. which is they were talking about how once the blasphemy laws are in the air, let alone they're on the books. There's a kind of chilling effect, like writers and producers self-censor because they know the trouble that it might cause them. Well, I'd say four out of five do. And then there's always that one guy who gets real inspired by it. <laughs> one guy gets <laughs> like, guy lasts oh. more than one season is the question. Oh yeah. But, I, it, but it's true. I mean, some, some people get very, some people need it. Some, some, some writers need to, somebody that, like I said, there's always a, there's always one executive that comes by at least once a week on any good, funny right. satire show where there's an executive that comes by and gives like a Dean speech from a bad fraternity movie where he's right. like, look, we're going to keep this show on the air. We got to keep our noses up and our chins firm and our body. You know, we, can't, we can't go, you know, we can't go calling idiomine dope or like, you know, like we can't. Yes. Well, know. I mean, you know, an example of that right now is film companies, TV companies, basketball companies are really mm. obsessed with China. Oh, yeah. Something might offend the Chinese or not get past Chinese censors. So let me just ask you this. Uh, do you think I asked them this and I'm going to ask you this. Mm. Does satire, like the, does comedy help? I mean, we're talking about like po- social justice issues, politics, con- uh, social controversies. Is comedy helpful in any way? You know, I think it's or, or are we just so-called preaching to the choir and the effect is minimal? No, I, you know, I like to think that there's a, there's a, there's a percentage of, you know, people who like good satire gets the wheels turning. You know, it's, it's the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. You know, and, and I think it's, yes, there is a certain amount of, sat, you know, religious, political satire that is sort of preaching for the preaching to the choir. But, you know, I always consider it a personal victory, uh, just as a comedian myself, mm-hmm. if I can uh, do some bits that are that are pro LGBT and I'm able to get, say, some middle aged good old boys from Alabama to have a laugh about it. Right. Or some, you know, gun-toting Floridians to have a laugh about it. I consider that far more of a victory than slaying it at a San Francisco coffee shop yeah. where our agendas are completely in line. That's why I think satire is it's such a necessary tool. Right. Not only not only for for enjoyment, but it's 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 it, it, without satire, I, I feel like satire polices the uh, you know the dishonest. You know, um, so I teach you know theater and comedy classes at a college. Some young adults are already like totally into this world and want to, you know, want to do so much. Mm-hmm. But you get those gen ed classes where you know they're being made to take a class or they're not yeah. that interested in it. And I mention that because when politics comes up, most, I don't say most, some, some students will have almost an immediate reaction of, oh, you know, I just want entertainment or art's not politics or art shouldn't be political or this interest. And I just wanted to share with you and then, uh, the 12 people listening. What I tell my students at that point is, whether or not you right now think that art has political potential, I'll tell you who does think it has political potential, governments. That's why governments have censorship laws. If North Korea wasn't afraid of artists, 
they wouldn't have all their artists locked up in concentration camps right now. Putin wasn't afraid of pussy riot. He wouldn't have had them arrested. He wouldn't have had the laws changed to make, which right now in Russia, it's illegal to make comments about religion that hurts anybody's feelings. Good Lord. And that's because of pussy riot. So governments wouldn't have censorship if they themselves weren't afraid of art. Yeah. Hey, uh, this being the first episode of season two, there is one side thing I wanted to go off on and then we're going to wrap up. In early January of 2021, one of my favorite uh, actors passed away. Uh, I know you'll know the name, uh, Sean. The actor who played Chano on Barney Miller, Gregory Sierra, passed away. And I just wanted to give that a shout out because I was such a fan of his work. He was on other television shows as well. He was also in a couple of John Carpenter films. Yes. And he also uh, was a stage actor. And I just want to say, you, me and Rick Adon have discussed this before. I think maybe Barney Miller might be the single greatest sitcom of all time. One of the, one of the best. It was it was one of the pantheon of incredible sitcoms that came out during the sort of uh, the the Norman Lear golden era of television, yes. seventy two to say seventy seven. Yeah, I mean it's open for debate, obviously, and uh, there are other great shows, Dick Van Dyke shows. Also, show. one of the best theme songs ever, besides yes. your own. Oh, absolutely. First, of, uh, first of all, I thought the format of the show was perfect for comedy. Yeah. Because anyone could walk through that door at any time. <laughs> It could be a college student with a bomb and then an Amish guy who won't use the telephone and then a guy who thinks he's a werewolf. Anybody could walk through the door. Yep. And it was also a a common um, sitcom formula. You see this in movies sometimes too, I suppose, but in sitcoms where the central character, which would be Barney Miller, is not that hilarious, but he's like the normal guy. Right. All the wackos and hilarious people and foibles rotate around. And that was Hal Linden? Yeah, Hal Linden. Um, who was hired basically right off of Broadway. I know he'd done, he'd done some TV and minor films, but he was basically a Broadway actor. The showrunner of Barney Miller like saw him on stage like two years earlier, went backstage and said, I'm going to put you in the next TV show that I make. And two years later, Hal Linden gets a phone call. I'm making a TV show and I'm offering you the lead part. That's fantastic. Uh, and it was, it, he was great though. I, I think a lot of good sitcoms have that. I mean, I, I think it's better if the Fonzie or the Latka character is supporting and you have sort of a, so sometimes you, you need that sort of milk toast likable. Yeah, well, who's more milk toast than Ron Howard in Happy Days? Yeah. He's just the kid going to school. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld is the least interesting part of Seinfeld, but makes that show work. I want to say, too, just about Barney Miller, a couple of things. First of all, they would bring up social issues in abortion, domestic abuse, immigration, but then they would be debated. Like, yeah, I'm sure the show kind of leaned left, but it was not a hard left. It was a kind of center left. It was was a lot more fair and unbiased than, say, all in the family. Yeah, the Wojo character was a veteran, Mm -hmm. and he would sometimes make like pro-military statements, but there'd be other characters who were like pacifists and then they would debate. Mm-hmm. And one other thing, Barney Miller, as a cop, always said, slow down and get all the information. Like the cops were always hot-headed, right? And I think there's something like just sort of intellectual about that, like you no know, rabbinical, like gather, don't rush to judgment. You don't have to arrest anybody yet. Right. Listen, this? lead with love. <laughs> yes. And then finally, because I started with Gregory Sierra, when I was a kid watching that show, Chano was the character I related to. I don't know why. He just he was funny for sure. I think he had a lot of the best lines in the first season or two. And that when he nice. left the show after season two, it might have actually like 
democratize some of the writing. <laughs> and, but he's I was always an Abe Vigoda fan myself. Oh, absolutely. Abe Vigoda on the phone, his phone calls on that show maybe stole the show. Well, I mean, he's, I think that's how he got fish. Him just listening. Yeah. He had already done the first, like he's only in Godfather 1. Mm-hmm. But uh, he had already done The Godfather, and they wanted to cast him because he'd bring a little gravitas. Like he would seem like a real cop, and he'd seem a little older, and he had a, a serious movie credit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, oh, yes. So, but Abe Vigoda, for sure. I mean, the whole cast was a great ensemble. That could be another way to put it. One, one of the best ensembles on television. Yeah. Just to, and so just to say, uh, Gregory Sierra, some members of Barney Miller, that was an older show, have passed. Some, like Hal Linden, are still with us. Gregory Sierra, R.I.P., just wanted to sneak that in there when I had, while I had the chance. Sean, by the time this comes out, I know you have just done a great benefit show. I hope that went well, goes well. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, later March or in the spring? Anything you want to plug? If you want to check out some of my films or some of my stuff on Amazon Prime, you've got uh, my film Greenpoint Tavern is uh, streaming on uh, Amazon Prime as well as my pilot every other Sunday. You can also catch me on Amazon Prime's Comics Watching Comics season yes. four through seven. And yeah, so, yeah, it just uh, Amazon Prime, put Sean Lynch in the search engine and a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Star of Amazon Prime. I'll tell you, man, they, they're at the top of my list, man. They have been, the past five years, they have been good to me. I'm glad to hear it. I will say your film uh, has won some festivals, and uh, Comics Watching Comics is a very popular show. If you've never watched it, check out an episode. It's, like a, very, it's a very interesting format uh, where comics do watch comics. I do want to say for myself, uh, next week will be episode two of season two. My co-host will be Jesse Pimpinella, and my interview topic is Mike Kaplan. Oh, Mike's great, yeah. Oh, what a great conversation. Again, Mike Kaplan was on Fuglesang's New Year's Eve show. Nice. And he went like kind of hard political on his bit. And I said, because I, I didn't know Mike. I said, I'm going to just email him. And he totally emailed me back. He was totally into it. We had a great conversation. And I just want to make sure people know that our I'm going to do a live Q&A show April 11th. So please send in your questions or topics you'd like us to talk about. Our email again is uh, comicalheathen at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever you can, send in your <laughs> topics and whatnot. And I just want to make sure I thank everybody. So before we get off the air, you know, I want to thank uh, Peter and Michael from Atheist Ireland for letting me talk to them about the Waterford Whisper situation. I want to thank Ian Harris for calling in and bitching for a few minutes. Uh, my good friend Jeff Geddert uh, has made uh, the theme song for season two. And I'd like to thank the Galactic Rabbi Consulate for building that laser. Yes. <laughs> to use purely for circumcision. That's why Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't need to worry oh, about that. That exact. It can yeah. actually it can actually sever a schmeckle from yeah. space. Exactly. It's a giant space moil. <laughs> so activate the astro moil. <laughs> <laughs> Who's holding the baby? Who's holding the baby? Hey, you know, I want to thank Sean Lynch for coming and screwing around with me today. And thank you, the listeners. Follow, like, retweet, share with all your friends. And let me just say in closing, it might be your dogma, but it's my karma. And I'm all about spreading the love. Bye.